welcome in to episode four of the Bear Claw Media Podcast. I am Chris Bolin, joined as always by Ben Schleiger. How you doing, buddy? Oh, we're we're doing we're doing okay. You know, Broncos and Bears took a dive this week, but you know, it you can't win every week. So uh, just doing what we can. How about you, Chris? Not too bad. Uh, luckily. UNC lost and the Broncos lost, but there uh, there's a lot of good football out there this weekend. Um, Texas Alabama was exciting. Um, CU uh, backed up what they did week one. Uh, so you know it first first Saturday Sunday of football season. You know with the NFL coming back, so it's a pretty pretty good weekend. I can't complain. Well, and we're pretty lucky here in the state of Colorado. I mean, I don't know how many of us can afford it, but CU, CSU, uh, they're going to have the Rocky Mountain Showdown on college game day. So it'll be amazing to have McAfee in the state. Just we probably can't afford to see him. I know. I'd like to see. I'm sure there's a Twitter photo out there of like the ticket prices last year compared to this year. It's probably actually laughable through right. through no doing of CSUs. That's all all Coach Prime. Yeah, from 27 to 227. Oh really? Is it, damn, you found that. Yeah, I looked on game time. It's it's about three hundred to ticket right now. Damn, and that's it's at Mile High again, isn't it? No, no, it's on Folsom this year. Oh, okay, that makes a little more sense. Yeah, because so they have that all that money. They're expected to to pull in several million this year just from just from that game. Damn, good, good on them. Maybe they could float some of it up to Greeley. Right. Um, but before we get going, I uh, just want to remind everybody to like and review this this bad boy if you're enjoying what we're doing. Um, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, um, give us a follow, review, comment. We want to hear what you guys what you guys want to hear. Um, and always appreciate you listening. Seriously, uh, means a lot to us getting this off the ground, and it's it's been it's been fun so far. So we're excited to to get into it. Well, if you guys don't like what we're doing too, we always like to have a, a good hearty debate with you. You'll be wrong, but uh, we'll we'll be happy to explore it with you. Yeah, if you if you like what we're doing, leave a review. If you don't like what we're doing, uh, leave a DM in Ben's inbox. Yeah, go for it. I'm used to it. <laughs> um, I guess uh, without further ado, we should probably get into that UNC game. About what was expected, uh, unfortunately, I think kind of nailed the preview. What what did you have? Forty five to forty five to ten, and it was forty two seven. Yeah, we we're only six points off on that, so uh, pretty proud when that happens. You know, the first first one of the season, you always got to put something positive out there, put some positive vibes. Hopefully, they'll live up to it. Didn't so with with uh, Abilene Christian one. This one. We kind of knew what to expect. They're uh, number 10 in the country, and they showed why. It was tough because we were pretty competitive throughout the first half. Um, really, we did a lot of things right, and the only time that we did something wrong, it just happened to be in a big way. And I think the confidence really tanked. <clears throat> Excuse me. And really, we just ran into a lack of depth 
in the second half where we just we kept trying, but we had to sub out. And when we subbed out, those guys took a, a, a few plays, a few drives to warm up, and that was just far beyond um, you know anything worth saving the game for. Yeah, and um, Lamb mentioned it after the game too. Like that first half was competitive, and then the defense just got gassed. He, he mentioned they played about two uh, like two games worth of snaps. Um, and it wasn't super far off. They 83 plays for Incarnate Word. They put up 617 yards. Um, but it, I mean, despite what the box score looks like, it was, like you mentioned, really competitive in the first half. Um, it was 21 nothing at half, but that was after kind of a back-breaking touchdown late in the second quarter. Um, I, and on a couple plays where the defense looked tired to be quite frank um and kind of on that note it was just a long game like it felt long out in the sun and then when i came uh came in this morning to watch watch the first half again on espn plus i noticed it was three and a half hours which oof that, I don't think that benefited anybody. I don't know. Was anybody having a good time past like hour, hour two and a half, three? I mean, I'm sure all of the, all of the word uh, fans were, but man, it was, it was tough for UNC. You know, the, the fans were getting restless. I have an awkward knee sunburn from being on the right side <laughs> of our group. Um, yeah. It's just, it wasn't a good time for anybody. We kept on hoping for something. Uh, when we did get something good, it wasn't even necessarily because the backups had more success. It was just along the lines of the third or fourth string was in, and we just happened to have a good play call that caught him off guard. It wasn't that we didn't have that earlier in the game. It's just we built up, built up, built up, and then we'd have something that either turned the ball over or just re- really reset us momentum-wise. Yeah, One of the harder and, uh, things. Oh. Go ahead. Uh, sorry, but like, yeah, I think along those lines, everything, like you said, just felt a little off. And um, I like the metaphor that uh, that Lamb used about um, the missed field goal kind of being a microcosm of the game, where like you look, you look in from outside, and you just say the kicker he pulled it or he missed the kick, but there's there's like six steps along the way to get there. You need a good snap. You need a good hold. You need a good cadence. You need it. So there's, there's just, and it seemed like UNC had five of the six pieces every time, you know, and, and again, like last week, anytime they'd get a big play, um, incarnate word stepped up like Abilene Christian did and just snatched all the momentum back. Um, and, and then UNC just wasn't able to get anything going until, like you said, it was too late and the, the third string was in and Gibbs was able to, to get that pass, that, that long one down the middle. But, yeah, it was, it was just another long game for the offense especially. Or I guess long game for the defense because the offense struggled so much. Right. Yeah, Lamb said that uh, in his interview as well with us at the end, is that they played so many plays that if you broke it down, it would look better for the defense if you cut all the plays in half and worse for the offense. Um, It was just really tough. There was at least two plays where there could have been a breakaway catch for a touchdown, 
So, I mean, if you add up all the mistakes, just the obvious ones alone, where it's undebatable that that, that player had a, a chance to score points, we're at least looking at 17 points that we could have been. So we could have been at least halfway closer to the score. And sure, that's not going to win us the game, but that would have looked a hell of a lot better mm-hmm. for the fans. Um, we had a, a couple of the players' parents behind us, and just you, you felt for the team, you felt for the parents. It, it was just rough. Like them seeing the obvious mistakes, them being like, this guy gets it right in practice. What's he doing in the game? Like what's going on? It was, it was just pure agony. It was tough. Um, yeah, and, um, and there, there wasn't really much they could do to just write the ship. They needed some sort of stabilizer. And once they did find a stabilizer, Incarnate Ward threw in something that just disrupted the whole game plan. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned there was a, I think seventeen points like kind of left on the board. Uh, two really deep like throws that would have been been huge um, in that first half. Who was the first one? Was uh, Jamari Robinson? Um, yeah, dropped one right over the top. He would have walked in for the touchdown. Uh, and then the second one, I think, was it uh, Zinicola tried to make a one one handed catch kind of over on the the right sideline, right down by the goal line. There's and he that one was oh, a little less egregious, right. but he still probably should have brought that one in. You know, it's a great throw. Um, and then right. there, I think I was thinking about one with Riles down the middle too as well. Um, e- either way, it's just stuff that didn't connect, so it doesn't count. But man, it, it sure would have been easier on the crowd for sure. I I think it's uh it, it's tough. Ever since Collins, like the crowd has definitely turned a little bit and they're just so much less patient, which in one degree is good because we're not gonna accept the same old, same old. But at the same time, I think they're a bit quick to get on, you know, the lack of success. You know? Yeah. The, the Abilene Christian one, sure, we might have had a chance in that, but once we saw Abilene Christian, they're a pretty good team. Um, Incarnate Word, they're number 10 in the country. You know, they're undeniably good. Next week's going to be an undeniably good team as well because they're a tier up and performing well. I agree with the fans and the sentiment of, like, we need to do better. We need to not miss obvious mistakes. But at the same time, these kids are trying to figure it out on the fly with an uphill battle. We got to cut them a little bit of grace. Yeah. And uh, kind of to put a bow just on, on everything we've touched on so far, it felt like they feel really close to putting it together, which doesn't mean a damn thing when you're losing by 35 points, but um, it, it feels like at some point it is going to come together and whether it's just for a game and they beat somebody you're not expecting them to beat, or come conference, they actually have um, some tangible like progress and momentum. It feels like the recipes there, the pieces, the ingredients are there. It just, there's one of these weeks it's going to come together and we'll have to see whether or not it sticks. Yeah, kind of, kind of like Lamb was referencing as well, is they got about nine players doing all the right things on most plays, and they just need those ten and eleven just to hit the same chemistry, hit the same groove at the same time. Great point. Um, 
kind of then going off of last week, the open field tackling especially was atrocious and a good portion of that was because the D line was getting pushed around. Um, the O line had the same problem. Um, as a positive, it felt a lot better this week, especially the open field tackling. Um, you know, yeah, that the tackling was solid. Like I think across the board, everybody was flying to the ball. There was a lot more hustle. There was a lot more drive, um, a lot more determination, um, especially looking back at our boys. Thankfully, we've got a roster from the fancy suites um, so we can reference everybody more uh, intelligently, even though God just bless the pronunciations because it's going to take us a while to get those right. God but Tama uh, Tuatelli, uh, linebacker 45, he was all over the field. You know, he did get a few penalties here and there, but he was trying his ass off. They even brought him in as a, as a fullback on a, on a run or two. Really, there was a lot of try on this on this team this week, and it was fantastic to see that drive. The one thing that kind of took away from some of that is our zone coverage. Some of some of the time, we looked like a like a kid lost in Walmart who couldn't find his mom. Um, it's just all of a sudden we see an incarnate word player. We're all yelling, "Who had that guy?" Like, ooh, it was it was gritty because you know, of course. Zach Calzada, he saw him just fine and uh, usually turned to a big gainer points, and it was tough. You know, they they were doing so much better to not be wet pasta this week. They really checked the box there, did great on it. But then they kind of looked like little kids in Walmart playing coverage. Yeah, and I think um, that kind of ties back to uh, – I think the the first of those plays you're talking about is at the very end of the first half. Um, it was tight all game, yet yeah, the defense was swarming the ball, um, holding their own. They'd given up 14 points, but honestly, those took a couple – one great throw from Calzada and then just another solid drive. Um, but then, yeah, with uh, – what was it? About – I think about four minutes, three minutes left in the first half, they uh, just wide open down the middle. Um, 44 yard catch and then the next play uh, I think it was an 11 yard touchdown run it looked exactly like the team has looked the last two years where just back breaking mistake and then they just don't recover in time uh, it was actually kind of funny because you mentioned the the parents sitting behind us you one of them was yelling like why, why are we in the prevent defense when uh, incarnate word was like nickel and diming us down? They put together like three or four short pass plays, a first down or two, and he was yelling about him being in prevent. And then I, I remember I looked over at you and I was like, as long as they can just hold them to a field goal, like we'll be okay, right. you know, just for momentum purposes. And then probably the next play, just forty-four yards wide open. Calzada underthrew it like about six yards off his back foot and it didn't even matter because he was just that right. open. Yeah, and that was, that was the hard part is like even when we knew what our mistakes were, we tried to do something that should be, you know, a 60 to 70 percent chance of fixing it. And it just, you know, when when we would zig, they would zag. It was tough. Yeah, and it 
And after that, the floodgates really opened. There felt like there was one more chance to kind of gain some momentum early in the third quarter. Um, who was it? Taiwan Harris, I think. Had, yeah, when, uh, he, when he stepped in front and took that, that ball right out of the receiver's hands, that was beautiful. It, it looked like watching it develop, it almost looked like it was going to be a pick six. And the, right. it was a good play. Like the, I think uh, the incarnate word receiver kind of came back to the ball and they just ended up kind of tussling there. But, and that, that gave UNC the ball on the, on incarnate's 30 yard line or so. And next play sermon just missed an out route. Uh, just not the best throw. Um, two more bad plays fourth down. He gets sacked incarnate word scores 28, nothing. And, all the game's effectively over at that point. You know, there's still half a game, but all the air is sucked out of the stadium. It's just just backbreaking. Like if that long play at the end of the first wasn't that one, that was the nail in the coffin. Yeah, it was tough. And you know, one of the harder things that we saw that day was actually uh, coach in the press conference. You know, uh, one of the other reporters is is asking pretty pretty uh, aggressively like hey what's what's the missing link what's what's missing what what do you need and you know he's he's taking it on the shins and not not pretty like uh stefan diggs does with a, a cute little gq photo shoot with a <laughs> one chin guard on he great was taking reference. it on the shins Absolutely everybody on this roster just being like it's not these guys obviously if they're not you know making their assignment making exactly what they need to do it's on me and I hope everybody just takes that with like the biggest sign of respect that coach is out here taking shots. He still believes in you, even in a 35 point loss, he still wants to see the best out of you. And I hope they don't get discouraged this week going to, you know, a big money game at an FBS on, you know, cable TV. Don't, don't take it for granted that, you know, you're just out there to try to get stats still try to represent, still try to go for the win, even if you're, you know, the spread's 40 plus. Yeah. yeah and um, something Ed Lamb's been very clear about too is, is the productive struggle is important. Like it's all about the process, not the results, not to put words in his mouth, but that's for lack of a better term, that's kind of what this team has been looking for in the first few weeks and what they're going to be looking for next week, I'm sure. Right. And I, I think we saw that um, when he was answering that question for us at the press conference is he could have just straight up blamed it on a tough schedule that we sh that we have no business scheduling, even though, you know, schedules are so far out. We couldn't have known that Incarnate Word would have been a, somewhat of a powerhouse right now, even if it's temporary. We had no idea of that, but he's he's taken the team on the sense of this isn't rebuilding this. You know, we can't be thinking like that. He's like, we're in deep water. We can we can start paddling and try to get back to shore, or we can be out here and die. And he's not taking the the lay down and die approach. Even if they're swimming against the current, he wants to keep on going forward because at the very least, it gives the kids something to look back on for their life of that they worked hard and they got through something hard, even though they were at the wall of like 101 and had no chance of getting through it but they still completed it. They might not have won the way they wanted to, or they might not have gotten the results they wanted to, but they still got through it and they went through that, that productive struggle.
Yeah, and I think kind of the the main theme that I kind of took out of not only this week but everything that Lamb has said up until this point is it's there's no excuses. Like this isn't a rebuild. Um, we're not playing a schedule that's too tough for us. This is that it's on them and it's on him. He's made a point to mention it's on him to to come out of that and to win now, um, which. It's encouraging to see. Hopefully, um, hopefully, it kind of bears some results come conference time. Right, and looking at it, like you know, it doesn't look like Sermon's not able to be the quarterback that UNC needs him to be. It's just you know, on the very first drive, everything was going well, and then they kind of get cute with this triple end around flea flicker thing that just it, it didn't have. The play wasn't designed to have the same timing or the same uh, development for for him to set his feet that he normally would. And when he did, he'd drop back, and it it looked like he was just kind of throwing a just a street pass to a to a friend. And it was just a hair late, and it went right into the safety's chest. You know, it was a, an early interception. It it was all because you know he was he was focused on following that play through as the play developed rather than the timing he felt comfortable with. So yeah, and, if he just um, had the time to develop and, and really go with the timing that's comfortable with him, he's going to be able to produce better. Yeah. And one thing I noticed that I, uh, that I wrote down was he looked fantastic on those deep balls. Like he throws a great go ball. Um, and he put three right on the money, like basically one, was completed and one and a half other ones should have been, but he just didn't see Mari one. Like it floated right down and it just went right through the kid's hands. Like it was exactly where it needed to be for that player. It was nowhere near a defender. It was, it was just great placement. Yeah. And he had two others like basically just like it, but then it seemed kind of those timing throws, the intermediates, um, like you mentioned, that interception he threw on that first drive. Um, there was a third down where he had a slant open and he just threw it behind him. Um, I mentioned that out route after the uh, interception. He, I don't. Uh, again, like like Lamb said, there's so many pieces to the puzzle. I don't know exactly what's what's going wrong. Like what's going wrong there, but he doesn't seem to be exactly on the same page as his receivers a lot of the time. Um. And kind of on that, that uh, that Hank Gibbs touchdown that you mentioned at the end of the game, I remember thinking when, when he threw that, it was kind of weird because it looked like uh, Haggerty was about to get ran down from behind, and then the guy just kind of gave up, like about six yeah, yards that out. Was scary. We were just all like, oh, he better hold on to that thing. Like, if he drops it now, this crowd is going to just oh. erupt. The, the the exit gates would have been crowded if he would have got oh, yeah. stripped. It, it looked like it was setting up for that, but thankfully, thankfully that didn't happen. But I remember, yeah, um, heart. I remember thinking like, uh, like I hope this doesn't become a talking point. Like Gibbs scored the only touchdown on a throw that Sermon would have made easily, and right. then I I remembered we're the only ones that would really be talking about it. I guess us in the trib, so. <laughs> Right. So I don't. I don't think there's any um, any worry about Sloter's job. I think we're going to have to get at least a couple games into conference play before there's any serious talk about a QB change. Right, and I think like 
we might see some development next week since it's going to be such a lopsided game and really health is going to be or at least should be one of the key talking points for the coaches is like you're not feeling good sub out like let's get somebody else some time to get them get them some tv cable time for their parents so they can see them on on uh pac 12 tv for the last time ever i guess um yeah they're not like like hank gibbs um he did well it was it was a great throw uh blake haggerty once when he like he made that just slight adjustment on his route like the defender behind him stumbled a little bit great showing by a freshman great showing by the transfer qb which i think is a junior coming in so we might have him for some competition next year um Gibbs looks good if, God forbid, uh, Sermon has some sort of issue at some point, which I sure hope so, hope he doesn't. I think he looked better. Um, I think you noticed him him grabbed his ribs once or twice. Yeah, but there, was I think just, overall... there was just one time that I noticed. I think it was um, I think it was actually the sack on that drive mm-hmm. right after they got the intercept. UNC got the interception early in the third. Um, but it didn't feel like that really, it it felt a lot better than last week. And it didn't really feel like that was the reason he ended up getting pulled. I think he played at least a couple more drives after that. But yeah, uh, I think they just wanted to see what Hank could do just of like, if something goes down, can this kid complete a ball? So I I think he showed that, um, Haggerty's a a great surprise because I think he's a freshman, a redshirt freshman. Yeah. So having that early talent is going to be great for developmental later on for us. Really, it was it was a good showing by the backups. Um, I don't think we have much to worry about there. But at the same time, we just prefer the – we know the long ball is accurate with Sermon. So I don't think there's any, um, any usefulness in having an, any sort of competition talk. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. So I'll just leave it there. Um, another thing I meant, we kind of touched on it. Zach Calzada looked fantastic. Um, he had a couple really good throws where he was rolling out left, like turned, fired back to the right side of the field. Um, that first touchdown, he had another long gain. Um, great vision, like great vision, great arm. I, I'm sure there are FBS programs he could be playing at right now. Um, but well, he was at Texas A&M for two years and then Auburn last year. So kids, uh, kids seen a hell of a lot of stuff coming into, uh, into that UIW program. Yeah. And, uh, another thing I noticed in that like regard, uh, incarnate words had a couple receivers that were just too big for UNC secondary. Um, there are a couple plays where I, it felt like they were covered pretty well and Calzada just, kind of threw it up, put it, he put it in a great spot and they just went up and got it. Um, which yeah, Caleb Tapman, he scored at least twice, uh, six, five, two twenty. you know, there was one, one score, um, in the far end zone where I can't remember if it was, it was Taiwan or Tizzy. Somebody was trying to like get their hands up and try to try to just do something. And he just, just caught it right there. Just yeah. that advantage was just a little bit, of an extra zing that it's not that we weren't ready for. It's just, it's hard to combat when a receiver is anywhere from three to six inches taller than you. 
Yeah, there's only there's legitimately only so much you can do when you're giving up that much size. Um, another thing, I couple or I guess a couple other things. Ben, feel free to hop in at any point here. These are just a few notes. Um, look like a more balanced rushing attack. Um, Afari split some carries with uh, Darius Stewart. I think Afari had 14 for 43 yards and Stewart 13 for 32. Um, Funny enough, too, Atelli was the second leading rusher on that one fourth down <laughs> conversion. Um, he looked tough to bring down. I think he bounced off a couple guys. I think there was a nice stiff arm in there. So Lamb mentioned he was trying to keep that, that group on the field. So I wonder, it was kind of a, a hybrid field goal set. Um, but I wonder if you yeah, I'd love to know how that developed in practice where, <laughs> you know, linebackers always want to be like, I want to be a running back today, coach. I want to see like, the, the footage of that behind the scenes of like how that developed. Cause I was like 40, 45, we only got 145. He's a linebacker. What is he doing out there? Yeah, I did. um What did, did lamb say? He was, he's just a blocker on field goal unit, I think. Cause uh, green's the holder. And then um, obviously the kicker. Yeah. He, he, he might be also like, um, <laughs> we'll, we'll have to look more closely on punt. He might be, um, one of the personal protectors, the back three before uh, um, Green, so he he might have a little bit more um, involvement than than what uh, you know what we might typically look for. But yeah, he looks like a plenty fine pinball out there to me. Rumbling, stumbling, you know. <laughs> uh, um, but kind of, you just mentioned Green, uh, the kicker slash punter. He did miss that one field goal. Um, box score has it at 23 yards. I remember announcers said it was a 30 yarder. I guess I'm more inclined to trust the box score. Um, but punting, he had a phenomenal day. Uh, nine punts, 414 yards, average of 46. On that 70 yarder he had in the second quarter that just pinned the uh, pinned Abilene Christian inside their five. Um, it, it, I mean when you're looking at the punter for highlights, it's not ideal, but it, the little things matter when games are more important. That's what, what, what it's going to come down to. So it's a nice, a nice notch in the belt. Right. And it was a beautiful kick. Um, it, it was just kind of funny. Like the crowd was kind of down the, the returner. He didn't back up that far. I think he backed up at like 40, 45 yards about where the average is. You know, if somebody really booms it, he just has to scoot back a little bit. And he kicked it, just beautiful spiral punt, a little bit of wind behind it. And you could see the the returner just backpedaling like, oh, I don't got that one. <laughs> and like everybody got all excited because it took a couple of bounces and we downed it like about the three, maybe the five. It, it was just, it was great to have that integral piece of, you know, the, the third phase per se. You know, it might not have gone perfect. He did miss an extra point. But he if missed he can a field goal. The field it was uh, incarnate oh, word missed the extra point, but we had penalties, so they got to redo that one. Right, um, but I mean, even so, like if he can flip the p- field position and just give the defense some sort of a break, where it's on them, you know, to just stop them before the the midfield, rather than being at midfield trying to stop before field goal range. That makes a world of difference on energy levels and just stress in general. Yeah. And he, I mean, he did the same thing last week. Abilene had a couple long scoring drives because they started at their own 10. Um, 
it was funny. Uh, I was listening to the announcers, and there was a quote after UNC didn't go for it on fourth down from around the 50. And um, he said, if your punter's punting well, punt it. And I thought it, <laughs> if we're already at that level in game two, I'm excited to see where the announcers go. If it's like a, a week 11, we're two and like two and eight or two and seven. Um, another funny thing the announcer said, he said, Zinicola hit in the lower stomach when he got hit in the groin, pretty obviously. I thought that was hilarious. Um, and then uh, the last thing that I took note, this was from Lamb in his post-game press conference. And uh, fair warning, it is taken extremely out of context. I just thought it was a funny, funny sentence. He said, in many ways, nothing could prepare us more for our conference than these disappointing blowout losses which he was talking about in the regard of you learn from these losses and you're better for it when you play tough in-conference opponents. It just sounded funny because he's like, well, nothing could prepare us for conference like getting blown out. Like, we'll be ready. We'll be ready to lose by 47 UC Davis. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a cringe quote, whether it's in context or out of context. But he, even so, it's just like, okay, well... I mean, there is something from learning from your uh, mistakes, but golly gee, I, I don't want to learn from this many mistakes this often. The productive struggle, Ben. I, I'm i team Ed Lamb. I will not let you let you sully it. Um, hey, we are on a, a beautiful navy and gold, the gold that you like, not <laughs> beautiful same old bears gold. Um, we're on beautiful uh, navy and gold struggle bus. And, you know, the next stop, we we got to get to uh after wazi we're we're going to get to some wins we will it just might take a while <laughs> um last thing i had written down is do you remember that strip sack that happened cuz i couldn't remember if it was this game or a different one but unc put out a, a handy dandy 2 minute highlight clip and it was um i think the kid's last d tackle number i think it's 20 i think his last name is dell uh, he basically just ripped it out of, I think it was Calzada's hand. Um, it bounced once and he landed on it. It was late in the third quarter. Uh, did you not number 20. Yeah. What's his name? Uh, Christian Wren. Wren. Uh, yeah. Freshman six four two sixty four. Yeah. There was funny. Cause we were talking earlier. We saw him go flying after the play. He was trying to, <laughs> trying to draw an unsportsmanlike, but, uh, he like, hey, he was making an effort. He re-earned his toughness card uh, on the strip sack. Uh, didn't lead to any points, but it was one of the cooler things that happened for the Bears in this game. Um, and then last but not least, there is nobody with a great name on this team. I went through the roster. There's some, like, fun ones, but no. There's just... some ones I'd love to see the announcers try to try to say. Yeah, I figured um... that was in territory I didn't want to wade into, though. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, like, some of these, I'm like, oh, yeah, have fun, buddy. Even if you have a pronunciation key, you you go for it. I'm not paid that much. <laughs> All right. Any um, – there's probably something we missed, but I think we touched on just about just about everything. Anything you want to add on, on to this game? Any thoughts, questions, comments, concerns? You know, I, I think – even though it didn't go our way, I think there was things that gave us hope that if they can get their uh, their stuff together, that we'll be all right. Um, 
it, it was just it, it was kind of disappointing to go from you know arm tackling and like like completions and just like a little bit of stuff here and there to just big blatant misses i think they were just trying to overcorrect just so far um i think they just need to get back to the basics just do the basics worry about health for washington state and just see what ha- happens from it you know don't don't stress it too much go out there and have fun see what happens when when you're trying to have fun all right well said uh we will be right back uh take a look around the big sky and then the fcs at week two And we are back here on the Bear Claw Media podcast presented by Bear Claw Media. Though uh, you probably know that because the feed that this podcast showed up in did not change. Um, so, Ben, let's take, uh, take a look around the big sky. Uh, I mean, I think Montana State was in the, uh, the premier game this, this weekend for FCS. And uh, Boy, it did not disappoint. Oh, man. I... I rewatched that later that night after we got done with dinner and oh that toe tap I felt so freaking bad. I was like they had that one. They played better than than the Jack Rabbits for not a vast majority of the game but enough of it that it counted and I was like man they they could have upset them and they were about two and a half inches of grass away from it. I don't even know if it was that much um, for, I mean, everybody listening who's this deep in the weeds probably knows how that game ended, but uh, Montana state was down 16 to 20 with about 10 seconds left from near their 20 and um, threw a dart to the back of the end zone. Looked like he drug his foot, um, called the touchdown and then overturned on the replay. Uh, he, honestly, when I watched it live, it did look he did look out of bounds even kind of looking at the replay they were showing on the broadcast but there's been a couple um very convincing twitter oh, posts yeah the, some, the some still shots where it's like where his foot just barely touches before and it's like okay how microscope are we going to get about this because if you go with a microscope approach touchdown if you go with the real time you know mike florio type uh way you're supposed to judge it there wasn't enough in. I'm honestly, I agree with that, but I'm kind of surprised they overturned it because, because they needed to reach the threshold of, of having enough evidence to overturn it. Um, right. I think it they just felt... was just bad enough. They couldn't justify leaving it where it was. And there might be some thought in their mind of like, okay, well, if, if it's not like a hundred percent, just give it to the home team. Yeah, um, hopefully there's a rematch of this game, though. I mean, if if these two teams are kind of at the level we think there are, or that we think they are, I imagine there likely will be a rematch sometime come playoff time. But y- you hate to see it be at least even this much up in the air because it does feel like there's there's a legitimate question to the outcome of this game. Um, I think. I think I there's think... also a question of if Tommy Mlot was healthy uh, because he was six for six, you know, in the, in the first half and coming out into the 
the third, the announcers kept on being like, well, where's he at? And then they pan to him on the sideline. Well, he's there. And then, you know, they, a couple plays later, they'd update he's limping and it's like, oh gosh, like it, it always seems like it comes down to injuries with Montana state as they have the dream roster. They got impeccable talent and then it gets hurt or something. They're like the San Francisco 49ers. They're meant to be in, in the ship, but they just, once, once they get there, it's just, they're not healthy enough because they're too banged up, scratching and clawing, getting there. Um, I'd love to see this game again. The one thing I really want from it, though, is to be on opposite sides of the bracket. Like, if yeah, this game rematches on the same side of the bracket before Frisco, uh, I don't know. Like, that, that would have a high expectation for Frisco to be even better than that. Yeah, and – Again, you never you never know how the season's going to play out, but this this feels like it could be a rematch in the national title game, and hopefully um, a game like this doesn't. I guess hopefully it either doesn't impact the voters' minds enough, or it impacts their minds just enough that they end up on opposite sides of the uh, of the bracket. Um, but we'll uh, we'll probably come back to this game in just a bit. Um, Idaho thirty three, Nevada six. Um, the Vandals, a, a six point favorite against FBS, Idaho, uh, admittedly not, not a powerhouse, not a powerhouse, probably one of the seller seller dwellers of the mountain West, but that's, that's impressive. Uh, again, don't want to, don't want to talk about this one for too long. Cause I think we're going to come back to it, but any, uh, just off the top thoughts about that Idaho Nevada game. I, I, I did not, uh, keep up with a score. I'm not sure when this one was happening. I was busy, but I went back and checked the final score because I was like, ooh, did we get a uh, fear the FCS moment on it? And I was like, 33 to 6. Oh, my goodness. They took knockoff Las Vegas, bent him over a fence post, and spanked <laughs> the crap out of him. Like, goodness. Um, I think one of the cooler things, too, is like as excited as they should be about it, that their coach, uh, Jason Eck, you know, cool little South Dakota state connection there. Uh, he put out this fun little video um, of all the guys on the plane before they're about to take off of like, Oh, we, this is the first time we beat Reno since 98, 99, something like that. And uh, you know, how do you feel about it guys? And they all roar in the background. They're all like cheering and whooping. Like that is a fun environment over there in Moscow. And those guys should be proud. All right. And uh, the kind of last, primo game of uh, the big sky weekend weber state taking care of business against uh, northern iowa uh 34 7 uh it was 17 17 at halftime and uh northern Iowa was actually leading 17 14 at one point and then weber just 20 unanswered end of the first into the second half and just just put you and i out of their misery i guess uh yeah i i was actually so i I've been a bit of a roller coaster for only two weeks of games. When we came into the season and did those preseason polls, I was pretty high on Weber State. Um, I think we had them at number three. They're kind of tied for number two. Uh, but I, I think I had them when I voted at number two. Um, and then as I kind of heard more, saw more, um, 
I my my confidence waned, but this this brought it back for me. Uh, solid win. Uh, who knows how good Northern Iowa is going to end up being? Um, but at the moment, it looks like j- one of the best wins for a Big Sky program so far. Probably second behind that Iowa or that uh, Idaho win. Yeah, I think this solidly um, put Weber State as the third best team in the Big Sky. Um, no doubt about it. I, I never really have believed in in Weber State's uh, passing game ever since we were in college. You can uh, you can <laughs> shout out back to my uh, lovely puns and uh, ripping of Jay Constantine to the point where his mom got in my DM saying what a nice boy he was. Um, but Weber historically has never had a good uh, passing, and this was not a good passing by any degree. But the rushing was just outstanding from Damon Bankston. 22 carries for 144 yards, three touchdowns. They went absolutely nuts on the ground. And for Theo Day being touted as this, you know, huge deal as a quarterback, he's going to take over the FCS, he's going to run things. He got sacked five times and picked off three. Weaver's defense is something to be scared of. This is going to be an ongoing problem in the Wildcats might not kill you through the air, but they'll scratch and claw you any other way. Yeah. Um, just a great, a great win. Uh, and again, we'll, we'll probably talk about that one a little more. Uh, the, the last interesting, there was a couple interesting ones, but the last one I'd really want to highlight is probably uh, Eastern Washington taking Fresno state FBS to, to two overtimes. Um, who knows the circumstances where where Fresno State's going to end up this year but but I think that that instills a little more confidence in me for this Eastern Washington team that I was kind of honestly didn't plan to think that much about this season. Yeah, I I think they're still kind of even even with a fantastic performance, I think they're going to end up about mid-grade just because there's some absolute killers in the big sky. Um I think they had a great performance. It's a damn shame they couldn't get that win because I feel like they were definitely a better team that night. And it, it was it was a good team loss. I know that sounds stupid and there's no such thing as a moral victory, but they should be damn proud of, you know, taking a FBS team to a second overtime and nearly winning it. You know, they were they were very close in that and I think I think that never say die attitude is still alive in, in Eastern Washington. They just have to prove that in conference play. Yeah. So a uh, little spoiler, they, uh, they get approved that before conference play next week, they take on Southeastern Louisiana. Um, but the last couple notes I had about this week in the big sky, um, Portland state and Northern Arizona, uh, they, they look better to me at both coming off a of big week one losses Portland State held their own against uh, Wyoming, and then uh, oh, lost my spot. And then Northern Arizona looked all right against North Dakota. You know, nothing, nothing world beating, but it it seemed like they had better performances this week. And then uh, Idaho State and Cal Poly kind of fell back to where we uh, where we thought they'd be. Idaho State losing by I believe fifty on the dot to Utah State. And then yeah. uh, Cal Ooh, Poly. That looks like a basketball there, 28-78 right there. Um, and and yeah, Cal I, Poly. I think most things, 
that win against San Diego last week looks a lot less impressive after San Diego lost to uh, the D2 Colorado Mesa. Um, oh, man. Sorry. We were definitely from tabs on that during the UNC game, and we're like, they're they're tied. Why, why are they tied? Like, go Mesa. Why are they tied? And yeah, then it I was went like, from overtime. And then it's like, wow, 28 21. Uh, they took them in, in overtime, and uh, Sicko's commu- uh, committee had a great play. I, we were looking up during the Bears game because unfortunately we needed some sort of happiness. And uh, the linemen um, scooped up a fumble, threw a great little little touch pass to the running back, and got a touchdown out of the deal. Like, Go Mesa, but I feel bad for Brandon Moore, our buddy from Mines, who went up to San Diego. Um, up to yeah, that lack of scholarships just hit bit him in the ass. Yeah, and I'm being, uh, I'm exaggerating. That was a step up, and he he proved at Mines that he's probably going to be able to build a good team, but it's going to take a minute. And it was funny. Uh, first off, that play number three, Sports Center top ten yesterday. Nice. Um. But yeah, I was I started that game rooting for San Diego because of that Brandon Moore connection. Um, and then as I think the fourth quarter was ending, I was like, wait a minute, why am I not cheering for Mesa? Like this <laughs> everything about this feels like I should be pulling for Mesa. Um, right. But uh before we get into um into the weeds on on kind of the power rankings of the big sky here, any any other highlights you had from this last week that you want to touch on? Um, I think it's just notable with common opponents that Montana played Utah Tech. And even though it was a road game, um, you know, they did win by 30. It just, it seemed less convincing than um, Montana State's 63 to 20. You know, I common opponents can only get you so far in stats and analytics. But as far as we're looking at it, you know, Montana obviously is a decent team, but I think they're still trending down from what the good old Grizz expect them to be at at this point in the year. Yeah. And I think, um, I think we agree on that. I think you're still a little higher on Montana than me and maybe than consensus, but, uh, um, let's get into that now. Uh, so the tubs at the club puts out a big sky conference power ranking every week. And, nice enough of of brian to invite ben to be a part of that and then nice enough of ben to also add me to the group chat so we both voted on that this week um and probably one of us or both of us will tweet out um what i had and then what ben had so if you if you want a visual while while looking at this you um, really want me to get killed on twitter huh (laughs) (laughs) it's all about engagement come on that's fair. Um, That's fair. I think let, let's start at the top. Uh, this is probably a debate to be had at this point. Um, I have Montana State number one, even after that loss. Uh, you have Idaho number one after a, a convincing win against Nevada. I don't think there's necessarily a wrong answer. Like I, I didn't think that hard about it, but I did think about it. You know, like I, I considered right. putting Idaho number one. Um, why why do you think Idaho deserves that number one spot and then I'll I'll come back with a counter unless you unless you make me change my mind? You know, I had to put him number one since I put UNC eleven, because otherwise Tubbs of the Club would kill me. No. Um 
I did put him number one based off of it's a power ranking, not um, not the top 25. And power ranking, Idaho went out. They spanked an FBS team. They absolutely took him to the woodshed, sent him packing. Um, they're going to go play, you know, Keno and their smoky casinos and cry. And uh, Montana State had an instant classic game that just didn't go their way. What worries me, though, is if Tommy Blotts hurt, we saw at Wyoming, Sean Chambers struggle as the solo um, number one quarterback. And I think in the FCS, he has a little bit of an edge because he has just a little bit better of a player um, on average versus the FCS than he is versus the FBS. I think he's below average there, but he has undeniable strength and willpower to just put his head down and, and go through a line, even though it makes me worried as hell as, as a sideline, you know, couch potato coach. But I think Idaho has a fiery offense and a good enough defense that they could keep going deep into the conference title um, conversation in Montana state. They have all the pieces. I just worry about, can they get into the end zone? I know they can get down to it, but are they going to be kicking field goals more often because, you know, they're running their asses off and they don't have a passing game. Um, And that kind of came into play in that last drive yesterday. Um, You would hear the announcers saying like, why would they throw it now if they didn't, if they didn't, they haven't thrown it. I think it was third and seven. They ran a QB power um, with chambers. Um, we should admit, I guess for, for clarity's sake was uh Malott went down in the second quarter, I believe. Um, pretty, I believe it was the first half. Cause in yeah. the third quarter, they were looking for him, uh, pan to him on the bench. And then a, a few plays later or a drive later, they mentioned that he was limping. So, Hopefully for Malat, he's, you know, able to just tape it up, spat it up, and be able to ready to go. But as we know as UNC, you know, sometimes things are game to game. Yeah, and uh, I think, honestly, Montana State can probably survive big sky play without Tommy Malat. Like, Sean Chambers is is plenty capable. But I when you get into the top-tier competition like Sandy, or, uh, South Dakota State, it's only about the fifteenth time I've I've called them San Diego State. Come on, ESPN. <laughs> um, you notice like you you miss him, and they missed him. Uh, I guess my I don't have any problem with Idaho being number one because, like you mentioned, it's a power ranking. It's not who we think's the best team or who's going to win the Big Sky. I guess when I thought about it, though, my main uh, my main takeaway was I feel like the Sandy or there I go again. The South Dakota State team that uh, that Montana State played is probably a step above the Nevada team that Idaho blew out. Um, it's oh yeah. There's no way of really proving that because you're only going to get a hand, like so many common opponents, if any. Um, and Nevada FBS playing a much tougher schedule for the rest of the season. Um, and just that along with the. Uh, Maybe I'm doubting it more than the average bear. Uh, no pun intended. Um, but I, I'm just I'm not convinced that uh, South Dakota State was any better than Montana State, um, and I'm not con- I'm not convinced that they deserve to win that game. Uh, but I think 
luckily week eight we get to see Idaho versus Montana State. They seem complete opposites in the way they they handle things. Montana State's that ground and pound, just gonna run it off tackle sixty times a game. That might be an exaggeration, but and then Idaho is gonna throw it around the field. Giovanni McCoy, Hunter Hayden. There, I'm excited for that one. We're looking forward a little bit, but. I think that's probably going to be the game that decides the Big Sky Conference because um, admittedly I was an Idaho doubter going into the season, but I think I am completely off of that position by now. <laughs> yeah, I think they've done enough to solidify where they're at and where they where they want to go. Um, but at the same time, they need to just keep on keeping on because uh, as soon as Montana State slips up, they they got to show that they have the the willpower and the, the roster to be able to pick up that slack and take over the reins. Um, I, I mean, Montana State's going to have look, looking ahead like they're going to have an easy game this week, so maybe that they can just rest them up because a week afterwards they go to Weber State. Um, you know, if if Malat's not healthy for that, that could be that could be ugly. Yeah, um, Ben, you're killing it again. Great transition. Uh, that takes us number three. Um, both of us have Weber State as the third best team. I think you said that the win over Northern Iowa makes them definitively the third best team in your eyes in the big sky. I questioned it a little bit more, but I came to the same conclusion. Um, they've proved it. They, like, they're the only other team with, with as convincing of a win as they have. They're the honestly that in Idaho, the most convincing wins in the big sky so far, like I said. Um, and then we differ a little bit on four five and six. Um, I have it as UC Davis, Sac state, and then Montana, you have Sac state, Montana, then UC Davis. Um, I guess kind of from consensus that I've seen UC Davis is generally, I think, a little higher regarded than Montana this season. What, uh, what made you, what made you believe in the Grizz? Ah, that's, that's such an ugly sentence. Um, <laughs> let's go back in time and never say that again. Okay, um, let, let me rephrase. Let me rephrase. What, um, what have you know Davis done to convince you think, up until this point? I, I think that Sac State and Montana have more pedigree and history, um, at least recently, with success in the Big Sky. Because UC Davis, each time they have a playoff type season, um, you know they they hit their high and they have a roller coaster low and they drop back down. Um, they're they're really good when they're good and they're kind of iffy when they're when they're mediocre. Um, I think Sac State still has a good roster. Um, I think even though. I want to put them on the fear of the FCS watch next week against Stanford's and Stanford's just such a, a boiling pot of mess with all this realignment and, and uh, their roster woes and whatnot. so is Washington state, by the way, realignment wise. <laughs> well, they also trump CSU. So we know that there's some proven success there. Uh, Stanford. I just, I don't know. No, I, I agree. I'm just I'd love to put that on the watch list. I, I'm going to leave that as a, as a fringe, but Sac state, they're just so close to um, when they were dominant. Montana always just they, – they do above average, and that's just kind of – that's the 
that's the status quo for this second reign of, of Bobby Houck. And I love UC Davis. I know they have an easy schedule. I'm just not convinced at this point. I mean, like, you can't take much away from 55-7 to 7 against Oregon State. Um, you know, there's there's not much you can take away from that one. And they're, they're week one against, you know, Texas A&M Commerce, beating them by 38 points. That's fantastic. They're also transitioning up. So, I mean, that's, that's an essential D2 plus win in my book and a loss. You got a money game to an FBS team that's honestly pretty good. Um, I, I, you know, again, they're also in that bubble. We're just talking about realignment all all over the place because we're playing all of the teams that are affected. I love it. how both teams left without a conference or top 25 at the moment and oh. like fairly convincingly. Right. It's wild. Um, um, but I, I, uh, I, just, I don't learn much from the Southern Utah game either. So that's where I'm like, I don't have anything against UC Davis. They're still in our, our top half of the conference. Like how we talked at the beginning is the, the playoff teams and the spoilers are one through six and seven through 12 are the ones who are trying to get stats, having fun or just playing football just for the hell of it. Yeah. And I think, um, honestly, I may just be lower on Montana due to their history, you know, because they're not, the, the bar has been set higher for them. I feel like than UC Davis and maybe that's the, the criteria I'm judging these rankings off of. Um, Cause you're right. It's so hard to tell this early on with, with uh, both team schedules. Uh, it, there's no way of telling it'll shake itself out. And one of us will, one of us will be proven right. And the other will be wrong. Um, and then, I mean, it's hard when we're betting on roller coaster uh, UC Davis versus mediocre plus Montana, like which one's going to falter. Cause they both do at some point. Yeah. Like it exactly. And Kind of moving on, uh, Eastern Washington, impressive, but I don't think it did enough for either of us to think of them as in that level with the top teams. Um, still to be seen, but I, I feel fairly confident in uh, in having them seven. That's one we agree on. Um, and then, yeah, so, I think they're the leader of the second tier. Exactly. I almost consider them a tier of their own. It feels – I can, so, so I have – Portland State number eight. You have Idaho State eight. I, I would consider Eastern Washington a solid level above both of those teams, um, and any of the kind of bottom dwellers, for lack of a better term. Um, that is where it gets a little bit interesting between the two of us, at least. Um, I feel like UNC uh, is is pretty convincingly in that bottom spot, just with what they've shown the last two weeks. Um, I, I, I've wanted to believe, I've, I want to believe, but I, I think just proof is in the pudding so far and there's time for it to change. But so I have UNC last at 12 and Portland state number eight, but you, um, you have UNC at 11 and Portland state in that last spot, which, which you certified Portland state hater Ben, cause you had them lower in the preseason <laughs> polls too. Um, what, what, uh, please explain to the audience your hatred for Portland state in the greater Pacific Northwest. Oh boy. Um, it's probably cause I like potatoes too much and I've, uh, you know, 
just have that uh, tubs of the club vodka in my stream of just top five Portland state um, has just been depressing um, because even with their, their top five recruiting class a couple years ago, um, even with Bruce, Bruce Barnum, a, a notably, you know, respectable coach in the big sky, even with Anthony Adams, their, their star secondary player a few years ago, uh, they they can't do much other than spoil UNC um, in their uh, in their six and five season from going to the playoffs, mm-hmm. and just spoil other people, even if they're playing at a damn soccer stadium instead of a or a high school stadium instead of their own on campus stadium. Um, I think the the game against Oregon was absolutely disrespectful, <laughs> and poor Puddles the Duck. I felt worse for him than I did for the Vikings. And, you know, I, I just don't think we learn a lot from 31-17 against Wyoming, who, yeah, it's a game right after they had a, a double overtime against a team that was, you know, a little bit more talented than them. Uh, they come out to just kind of like a leisurely FCS game. I mean, 17 points, good for them. I'm, I'm glad that they, you know, were able to get that on them. But it's also a mismatch in styles. So I would be disappointed if they didn't get double digits. Um, we could have scored 24 points ourselves against the top 10 FCS team this week if we were just a little bit more composed. So I feel like if you could put it 11.5 for both of us, we'd both be there. But, you know, I just don't think UNC is going to be the worst. We haven't been the bottom, bottom of the conference, I think, since 2010, 2011. We've always been second to last or third to last. So just keeping you know, our heads above uh, water, baby. Exactly. We're doing the good old bear paddle. Um, and as long as we continue doing the bear paddle, we'll not be technically last. Um, the rest of the filler teams in there, I think Idaho State had a great first week, a rough second week. NAU, they had a awful first week and an okay second week. Cal Poly, um, I'm not sure people even know they play football after getting butt whooped by San Jose State, who's not so great in the Mountain West. Who lost by a similar score to Oregon State last week. Yeah, I. Oof. at least their pockets are full. You know, there's that. <laughs> that's, what, that's what we're going to be telling ourselves next week, so. Um, I'll, uh, That's true. I'll leave the rest of that. Like I said, we'll tweet those out if you're interested. Um, happy to debate you there. Yeah, one thing I will say on my Pacific Northwest hate, I don't actually hate it, but spicy take of the week, Pete's coffee over Starbucks every single damn day. <laughs> well, what, uh, what a better way to move on from the big sky to, uh, to the greater FCS. Um, after going 0-42 last week against FBS opponents, uh, big, or the uh, FCS picked up three and a half, I guess I'd say, wins. Um, Southern Illinois. I'd count the trans- oh, what was that? I'd, I'd count the transitional win. I mean, if Kansas already has their paperwork in and they're just waiting to, you know, play their actual FBS schedule, it, I think technically it counts. All right, let's call it then. Uh who beat Kennesaw again? It was Chattanooga. They got them um, twenty-seven twenty. Okay, sweet. Um, 
And those added to Southern Illinois picked up the first FCS win against Northern Illinois, 14-11. Yeah, they were number 24 in this week's FCS poll, so they'll surely move up. Um, Then we already talked about Idaho uh, beating Nevada. And then Fordham, who was unranked, not even receiving votes, beat FBS Buffalo 40-37. So we'll see what sort of respect uh, they get moving into next week. Um, any, any of those games stick out to you, I guess, besides Idaho, cause we've already touched on that enough. I mean, Chattanooga was good a couple years ago, so I, I don't think it's a surprise that, that that program has quality to it and Kennesaw being a transitional team. I mean, it's going to go through a lot of changes and not everything's going to look the same, kind of like how, uh, kind of, uh, Jacksonville state, excuse me. Um, they moved up, they got. Uh, Rich Rod on staff instead of John Grass um, kind of just set a tone of they're not okay with just, you know, hitting the playoffs. They want to actually get some hardware and whatnot. So I, I think in a transitional period like that, it's kind of kind of a, a soft spot in the armor. Um, Southern Illinois is traditionally a good team the last couple of years in the, in the Missouri Valley. And then uh, I think Fordham probably getting some uh, sweet action uh, over there with Buffalo and coming out on top. I think that's a, a surprising one. That's kind of a nice little cherry topper. We didn't expect Idaho whooping up on Nevada. I think we expected, but the, Let's expected it. Maybe not quite that bad though. Four. Yeah, that is, that's a hell of a statement. And I would love to see just like, like a crime scene reporter, uh, go up and interview Nevada fans and just be like, how are you feeling? <laughs> what's what's next for you? Yeah, well, uh, I think you put it well. And um, based on the fact that we're already like at an hour and 15 minutes, I will keep her moving along. Um, Boston College just escaped Holy Cross uh, 31-28. That could have been the fifth FCS over SB- FBS win. Um and then Western Carolina beat Samford 30-7 to in kind of the, the FCS on FCS upset of the week, I guess I'd call it. Um, Samford ran the table uh, last year in the uh, Southern Conference. Uh, they were ranked number eight, surely to move down uh, by the time this podcast comes out, honestly. Um, any, any thoughts on either of those games, Ben? Yeah, I mean... That's uh, definitely a little bit of a shocker there. I mean, Western Carolina, they're kind of a team you, you're not really paying attention to, and for them to come out and put the hurt on Sanford, that's something to take notice of going forward. Yeah, um, and then I guess in a few games we talked about last week, South Carolina beat Furman 47-21. Uh, Michigan State took care of Richmond 45-14. And then uh, North Dakota State, 44-7 over Maine, who sneakily Maine on a, I think, seven-game losing streak, which is tied for, I think, third or fourth longest in the FCS, which uh, caught me a little off guard because they've been competitive. They haven't been phenomenal by any means, but they seems like they compete. Um, and uh, all right, well... Any uh, any big FCS takeaways this week, Ben, that we didn't touch on, or any anything else you want to preview before we move on to week three? 
No, I, th- I think we hammered it pretty well. Um, week two had a lot of excitement. Uh, week three, we might be looking a little bit more chalk across the entire landscape. Awesome. Well, we will get into that in just a sec after we take a quick break. So let's take a look. Uh, we've actually touched on it pretty heavy, uh, but UNC heading to Pullman to take on Washington State next week. Um, the Cougars ranked number 23 now in the AP FBS Top 25 poll um, after beating CSU 50-24 in week one. And then uh, the upset over number nine, Wisconsin. Uh, first year coach Luke Fickle, some, some high expectations there. Uh, like we said, uh, this is going to be, uh, a productive struggle game. Um, the Cougars looking very good with, uh, with last year's incarnate word quarterback, Cam Ward. Um, he had 450 yards in week one and another 212 last week. So over 300 a game. Um, his main target Lincoln Victor, who is at over a hundred yards a game and, uh, had a touchdown last week. Um, what are your overall thoughts on Washington State, Ben? We've uh, w- we've talked about it a bit, but this one, uh, what are you thinking? Really, Washington State should scare us more than usual um, because of transfer quarterback Cam Ward. Um, he is the reason why Incarnate Ward is in the driver's seat that they are now. They were 10 and three with him, um, his first season there and 12 and two the second time. And uh, they made the playoffs both times, went quarterfinals first time, semifinals second. And he's a dangerous passer. I think I was looking at Phil Steele's uh, top 50 quarterbacks in the FCF, in the FBS, and he was right in the, the low 30s in there. So this guy is absolutely danger through the air. Um, doesn't mean he can't rush, but this will be, this will be an air raid attack on us. And, um, if they can do anything like what incarnate word can, we're going to see a pretty high number on their side of the scoreboard. I think overall UNC can find little, little pieces to make up in garbage time. But as far as like starters versus starters, it's it's going to be a little bit of a worry. I mean, like CSU, they don't have exactly small kids up there. And, you know, we have pretty decently sized kids too as well, but they got moved around. Um, that's going to be my worry is how much production can we have? Um, and I mean, it, it might even get to the point where they switch to running at a certain point just to protect Cam Ward a certain, at a certain point in the game. But we're going to have to defend um the passing game for our for our lives and just keep the the running game at bay yeah and uh you nailed it they they want to throw the ball um cam ward actually has been their leading rusher the last two weeks but it was with 40 yards and 43 yards so they're gonna kill you through the air um which is a little bit unfortunate for the bears because uh 
maybe correct me if you disagree, but it feels like the secondary is kind of a strength of this Bears team. But if you're going up against a Power 5 program, who the strength of their team is their passing game, I don't think it really bodes well for UNC necessarily. And I think we're still finding our identity. I mean, with us expecting Hogue to come back at some point, um, I would not bet on this game. I would say, if anything, he comes back week four. Um, from the information we have, it it's not definitive on when he comes back. So I would say not the don't expect him this game because really, what's the point? Um, do you want to just get him hurt against big, you know, nasty FBS guys? I wouldn't. So, I mean, we saw Vincent King was our MVP of the week, um, at least according to Bears social media. I would probably echo that, that he was one of the, the key contributors um, to our success this last week. And he's playing all over the field. He's playing edge. He's playing outside linebacker. He lined up man-to-man um, on a spread formation. I mean, he's just – he's playing so many different positions because he is a utility player, which is fantastic. But he's also not in all of the positions that he's used to having success in. So he's trying to spread his success to other positions to for the better of the team, which is fantastic and commendable. But at the same time, we're not getting the – optimal performance out of him because he's he's playing at an above average level across the field so I think between that between Napke kind of coming down into the front seven rather being in in the secondary Cam Murray um, being in the in the the safety position rather than than corner I think we're still trying to form our identity and this is going to be a tough time to solidify that I think the first first week maybe first two weeks of conference play is when we'll really know what the Bears defense is all about. But like you said, our, our strengths definitely rely in the linebackers and secondary. Yeah, and um, just looking for another matchup that might favor UNC, I, I kind of noted down if Hogue does come back, um, which you, you make a good point, it doesn't make a ton of sense for him to return this week. Um the pass rush might be able to get home between him and King. Um, the the Cougars let up four sacks against Wisconsin last week and three the week before against Colorado State. Um, part of that's uh, just the nature of throwing the ball so much. Uh, the defense is going to get to you occasionally, um, but I I wouldn't I don't think that's too much to focus on because you're like you said I don't think Hogue's going to return this week. Um, but well, shoot, maybe we should just have three three uh, down linemen, Blitz, Napke, and King every single play, and just have six corners out there trying their best. But you, uh, you're right though. Uh, King has looked great, but I think he hasn't been in the. He's been in the positions to help the team succeed the most, but I don't think he's necessarily been in the positions to help himself succeed. And that'll probably take care of itself a lot if Hogue is able to return, which it, it does sound, thankfully, like it's not a season, anything season-ending, but uh, just kind of keep an eye on when he's going to be coming back. Yeah, he looked decent on the sideline. I mean, like, he was just in, in sweats, not doing uh, anything besides out there just supporting his team and whatnot. But it was good to see him on the sideline. You know, he he's walking around, didn't have a brace. So we, we can at least have some hope that uh, no matter when he does come back, 
that he'll be able to be um, relatively full strength. Nice. And um, I guess couple last couple of fun facts I had. Um, this is Washington State's second straight 2-0 start. Uh, did it last year, did it this year. Doesn't mean anything, but fun fact nonetheless. Um, and then last, the, these two have played one other time, uh, 2019. Uh, UNC lost 59 to 17. Um, you probably won't be surprised to know Jacob Nip was still the starter at that point. Um, in my head, that's way too late, but he did play for six years. So I guess it's more surprising that he was still starting because it must have been early in the season or, or he would not have been playing in that game historically. Nice. And, um, I guess that that's all I have about the Bears and Abilene. Any or that's all I have about the Bears and uh, Washington State. Anything you want to add there, Ben? No, I, I think this is going to be one of those games where we hope a couple players uh, can show out on uh, national TV. I mean, as well as the Pac-12 network <laughs> is broadcasted. Um, but I mean, like it, it'll be a nice like kind of bright home game of like, Hey, I played against these guys. Um, it, it's a, all going to be about for me of just seeing them improve the basics. You know, we, we lacked the basics week one, and then we, we did the, the fun stuff well week two, but lacked the basics. So maybe we can put it all together. And of course, we're not going to, um, have an outstanding performance necessarily, but at least if we could have good basics, and you know have some some productive plays here or there where it's like maybe we cause a turnover or two maybe a, a guy has a, a good long run a good a good catch for 20 yards or so you know just something that we can hang our hat on um besides just collecting a check nice and uh so let's move forward to the big sky uh week three we touched on it a bit when we were talking about last week. Not not a ton. I think last week definitely had a more marquee slate. Um, but Idaho has another chance to pull off an FBS win. Uh, they play Cal, who I severely doubt the Vandals will be favored in that one. Um, Cal's a much, much better team this year than Nevada. Um, they, they just coming off a 14-10 loss to Auburn, which is generally generally impressive for the Cal program. You know, Auburn's supposed to be taking a step forward in the SEC this year. They were able to keep that one pretty close. Uh, you think Idaho has any chance against Cal? I, th I think there's definitely an opportunity, but I, I don't think it's going to come nearly as easy as it did this week. You know, if it is a Vandal win, um, it, it's only going to be by a couple potatoes then <laughs> rather than several sacks uh, this last week. Uh, do they have the potential to do it? Sure, of course they do. Um, but like you said, Cal is not a dumpster. Um, mm -hmm. they, they definitely have some quality to them. It's you know, 14 to 10 against Auburn. It's a loss, but it's a good loss. So in the big scheme of things, I think it could be close. I think Idaho is going to show a lot of good things. Um, out of everybody who could get a fear the FCS moment, I think they're Still a candidate, but it's more of a fringe candidate rather than a solid one. Yeah, and um, I guess we'll see by the time this podcast comes out uh, how much that win over Nevada uh, 
impacted the the Vandals' top twenty five looks. Uh, so that, but with this week and a potential win next week, uh, Idaho could be looking at some top two, if not best team in the country, Buzz, if they can pull off back-to-back FBS wins. Um, Next, I have Montana hosting Ferris State, uh, defending D2 national champion. Uh, They're 2-0 so far this year and won 11 straight going back to last season. A game the the Grizzlies really should take care of, but it it has a little intrigue, you know, just the the defending D2 champion coming into, into Missoula and and giving the Grizz a run for their money, potentially. God, I want to know so badly, who thought this was a good idea? Again, you know, games are scheduled out so far out, you can't necessarily, uh, you, you can't necessarily avoid some things. We didn't know that, you know, Incarnate Word was going to be an absolute powerhouse, thanks to Cam Ward and company. Um, Ferris State has always had some sort of success at the DT level. I think this was a big oversight by the Montana and administration. Um, they need to come out and just absolutely whoop them and be like, yep, those guys don't deserve me in the F- FCS yet. We whooped them by 25, 30 points. They need to beat them more than they beat Butler. If they didn't, if they don't, they should be worried. Season tickets holders should be worried. Uh, everybody in Missoula should be sharpening their pitchforks for when they when they uh, they uh, storm the castle at night. Um, Fair State is not something to scoff at, and if they somehow go in there and get a win over Montana, that will be just an absolute s show of twenty six thousand. Hilarious for everybody else, but right, yeah, twenty six thousand angry drunk Montanans that just don't know what to do with their life because the Grizz lost to a D2. Uh, I don't think it'll go that way, but man, they better, they better beat Ferris state. Well, you're right though. This game just doesn't make any sense. Uh, Ferris state's in big rapids, Michigan. It's not even like a, it's not even a close drive. I, but you're right. Hope, I mean, not hopefully, but in theory, Montana is going to take care of business in that one. Um, it's like UNC trying to schedule the school of mines, like school of mines has been in the playoffs and, and RMAC champion so many times. Like it just, it's not, it doesn't benefit us. To at do least it, they so. don't have like school of mines wouldn't have to fly two hours to get to, That's true. you know, like That's that true. one at least like, makes sense geographically. Um, right. but not, not to harp on that one too much. Uh, the last real game that kind of piques my interest in the big sky next week is uh eastern washington hosting uh top 25 southeastern louisiana i'm gonna leave it at top 25 because who knows how this next batch of rankings is gonna gonna shake out um coming into this week i don't think that game would have been of too much interest to me but eastern washington looked good against fresno state so it's yeah it's that, worth at least keeping an eye on off. right um looking at that i I think it's interesting like they both used to be dominant passer programs that had dominant quarterbacks and they kind of taken a step back so we'll kind of see where they end up and uh, kind of expanding out to the the greater fcs uh i think there's really two that that kind of pique my interest um 
mostly though Southern Illinois at Southeastern Missouri is probably probably the marquee matchup there. Um, top twenty five, potentially top twenty um, by the time that game comes. Um, the Salukis picking up the big win over Northern Illinois last week or this week, whatever you want to call it. Um, that one's that one will be interesting. What uh, do you have any big thoughts on that one or? You know, I, I'm I'm just gonna I don't have a dog in that fight. I think uh, I think if anything, I would favor the Salukis just a smidge. Um, but the Redbirds are traditionally a, a tough team, and they've had some success in the top 25 over the last decade. So I, I think that could be an either or type of game. Um, and I'd, I'd love to see you know what comes out of it because whoever comes out is gonna have an edge going into their their week four. Yeah. Um, and the other kind of relevant matchup, it's probably more relevant to us as UNC fans. Um, but still, still one of the bigger games nationally is incarnate word at Abilene Christian. Um, the bears two two opponents so far this year. Um, I think this could actually be a very good game. I may be higher on Abilene Christian than average, but I think, I think they're going to end the season in the top 25. I think they're going to compete in that new conference. Um, and I, I think they're going to give Incarnate Word a run for their money. A real real clash of the styles. Um, Incarnate Word looking to whip the ball around the field, throw it. Uh, and Abilene Christian really just run it down your throat, bigger, stronger. Um, any Anything in particular in that one? Honestly, I think this is just so intriguing since, like, it's similar styles – um, similar heritage from where they come from and whatnot. And it's, it's really just like a smidge above versus a smidge below. It's like an A minus versus a B plus. I think even though it doesn't, it might not have the, you know, the, the little subsidiary next to it of having a top 25 matchup next to it. I think that would definitely be um, probably one of the most competitive games and one of the, the best games of the week outside of SEMO and Southern Illinois. Yeah, it, it was very validating for me personally to hear Ed Lamb also um, mention how he wouldn't be surprised uh, if Abilene Christian ends up ends up being a power in that conference this year. Because honestly, that was one of my big takeaways from that game is as bad as UNC looked, Abilene looked like a legit, just good team, tight team, did everything they needed to do. Um. And then Holy Cross plays Yale. Uh, Holy Cross looking to bounce back after that close loss to BC. Um, Yale's weird. Uh, receiving votes just hasn't played a game yet. Uh, the the old first two weeks by strategy, you know, really postpone having to play any games. Um, I don't really have anything else on that one. Uh, and then last, I think the Ivy League is so hard to expect anything from because, you know, uh, Princeton and Dartmouth, um, they've been in the top twenty-five before, but they uh, pull the the cop out of you know testing and you know end of the year for why they don't do playoffs and whatnot. So uh, it, it's always hard to measure where the Ivies are at, but usually the top three of the Ivies are pretty. Um, pretty darn competitive and have some real dogs that come out of them. A lot of NFL players come out of there. So I think it's going to be intriguing because Holy Cross won't have a lot of tape on them at all. Yeah. And um, 
I guess last and potentially least, but potentially not least, you know, um, Samford heads to Auburn. Uh, not particularly notable other than the fact that Samford's likely going to start 0-2 after being projected to win that conference again. Um, then they go uh, to or they host Chattanooga the next week, which will also not be not be a cupcake. So um, just something to keep an eye at or something to keep an eye on. Samford may may have a rough start out of the gate more so than they already have, honestly. And uh, all right, we will cut that little pause out, but. I think that will do it for us here at Bear Claw Media. Thanks for listening. Again, uh, please rate, review, subscribe, uh, like, follow, um, tell your friends, all, all of the above. Um, it, it really means a lot to us. <laughs> but, but we really appreciate it. Um, again, thanks for listening. Um, I've been Chris Bolin, uh, joined by Ben Schleiger. Everybody have a great day.